0: Hey, Metal Dave here along with my co-host Jason McMaster and welcome to another episode of that Talk Louder podcast. Today we are dedicating the entire episode to one of the greatest bands of all time. That band is Judas Priest. And uh, we're gonna do this every once in a while where we're gonna just dedicate a show to an artist or a band that is so awesome. That has made such an impact on me and Jason, on rock and roll in general, on heavy metal in general, that they deserve their, the entire show. And Judas Priest certainly qualifies as one of those bands. Uh, We'll get to all things Judas Priest in just a minute, but first bring in Jason and uh, tell me what's going on with you. You got anything happening this week?
1: Man, it's you know the day in the life is just, uh, you know, i'm I'm teaching most of the time. I'm working on music, um, you know, when I'm not teaching and uh, and or I'm doing this. Uh, you know, to, to we we usually tape these uh, on a Friday or a Sunday and uh those happen to be my days off so yeah that's, that's about that's about it uh talk louder has become a part of my uh routine and uh i really like it it's easy it's easy to schedule because you know um as everyone as the world knows it's uh, we're still in a bit of a of a indecisive uh, safety issue because of the virus and the variants and uh so this is um uh, this is taking up my time and it's keeping me safe and we'll continue to do so. But I do feel like I see a pinhole of light. Yeah. Let's do some shows coming up. I
0: hope so. I, I, I hope do, so.
1: I do. I, you know, that's not really, I'm not, I'm not saying anything. I'm not letting it. There's no cat. There's no bag. So there's no cat <laughs> out of the bag. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully we're about to turn the corner on this because I'm ready for some live music myself. Uh, in the meantime, though, uh, like you, I uh, spend my time uh, gearing up for Talk Louder. I love it; it's fun. Um, I'm still listening to music uh, when I'm uh, during my downtime. I was listening; I revisited a a, a Ramones record the other night, uh, Mondo Bizarro. It came out in 1992, and um, it's uh, it's not necessarily the greatest Ramones record, but it definitely has some awesome moments on it. Um, it's the first album to feature CJ on bass. Yeah, I was going
1: to um, say no, no, Dee Dee on that record. I have an well, autographed I have an autographed copy of that record. Actually,
0: Dee Dee uh, is not listed as one of the musicians, nor does he play on it. But he contributed a lot of songs to that record. Um, he wrote about three or four songs, at least on that album, and a couple of them CJ actually does the lead vocals on. Um, and those are actually the best songs on the album, are the ones that Didi wrote. Uh, he wrote Poison Heart, he wrote Main Man, and he wrote Strength to Endure. Is and- that
1: personal opinion, or has that have been written in history books as facts that this that the the uh dd songs that cj sings are the best songs on mondo bizarro uh,
0: no I, i'm saying that the songs that dd Dee Dee wrote are the best songs in Better my song. opinion so okay yeah but and cj sang, sang two out of the three two out of- um okay. right so so poison heart is uh joey singing um, main man and strength to endure is CJ on lead vocals, and uh, it's a good album f- in, in that regard. It was the introduction of CJ. It was the uh, it was DJ or CJ's uh, sort of outgoing type album where he contributed songs but wasn't really in the band anymore. But the songs he contributed were great. And um uh, Dee, Dee. Was- Dee, Dee Dee, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, uh, Didi's Dee presence is on that album, although he was technically officially out of the band and not playing on the album, but, uh, it definitely has a lot of DD's stamp all over it. And CJ stepped up and did a great job filling in for Didi as a bass player, uh, as a showman. He was a great, uh, kick in the pants when the band kind of needed it. He brought this youthful energy. He reminds me in a sense of, you know, how, when, uh, Cliff Burton died and Metallica brought in Jason Newstead. It was like they found the one and only guy on planet Earth that could do that job and do it justice. And I've always felt the same way about CJ uh, because Dee Dee was, you know, irreplaceable, let's face it. But if he had to be replaced, CJ was the man to do it and he he did a great job. Oh yeah. I saw that tour. Uh, the Mondo Bizarro tour here in Austin in 1992. It was the first time I ever had the chance to interview the Ramones and meet them. Um, it might not have been a first interview; I might have interviewed them by by telephone, but it was the first time I met them in person. Mm. And the weird thing is, I'm making my way through the corridors of the venue during sound check or just before sound check, and I pass CJ in a stairwell. And I don't even recognize him because he's got this long, heavy metal hair and he's wearing a T-shirt with the sleeves cut off. And he's got all these tattoos. He looked like a roadie to me. So we passed each other in the stairwell and he's like, hey, man, how's it going? I was like, hey, man, how you doing? All right. Right on, brother. See you later. And next thing I know, uh, I'm watching Soundcheck and he's on stage. Uh, singing joey's lead vocals and doing the mic check and the sound check and all that stuff and i realized you know right then and there wow i just passed cj in the stairwell and didn't sounds even like, realize it was him.
1: sounds like he is the roadie
0: <laughs> he <laughs> might have been all <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that might have been his initiation. I don't know, but yeah, 1992 Mondo Bizarro, not a bad Ramones album, and uh, a great introduction for uh, for CJ.
1: I think they did an in store that day, and a friend of mine went down there and got uh, got that record signed and gave it to me later. It wasn't it wasn't on my agenda to stand in line and and get the Ramones yeah. autograph, but uh, it was a nice gift
0: well the funny uh, thing i I, I don't
1: i don't hate the record i like the record
0: yeah the funny thing that day is uh, so i'm interviewing the band actually i was interviewing marky uh backstage and joey and johnny showed up during the interview so i got to meet them although i wasn't really interviewing them and i had that record with me so i got uh joey marky and johnny to sign the album And I walked away without it being signed by CJ, who I passed in the stairwell and never even realized it was him. So uh, about, I don't know, 20 years later, he played a gig in uh, San Antonio uh, post Ramones. It was a CJ Ramone gig. And I took that vinyl and I told him the story and and, uh, I finally got his sign by the, you know, he finally added the missing signature many, many years later.
1: Yeah, that so, happens so, that happens sometimes, and when you're a bit of a collector or a fan or something. Sorry, my reverb came on, uh, or you're a fan or something, and then you know you're missing that one signature, and like you were stand, you were there, and you just whoops, right? Yeah, yeah, you got caught up in something else. It's interesting.
0: Exactly. Well, I wasn't used. You know, he was new to the band, and he was wearing cut-off sleeves, and he had a bunch of tattoos. You know, I'm I'm used to seeing the Ramones in black leather jackets and bowl cuts. You know, and this guy looked like uh, a biker that just stepped off a Harley. You know, and uh, so I, I totally totally spaced on him in the stairwell, but he made good for it. Made good on it twenty years later. So. <laughs> This is a good one, folks, Judas Priest. I mean, we could go on and on and on about Judas Priest, but we'll try to contain ourselves. Uh, one of the greatest metal bands of all time, it goes without saying. A huge influence on Jason, a huge influence on me as a fan. A great catalog. Uh, they basically sort of, in, in many ways, define the genre. Um, but Jason, we'll start with you. Uh, what was your first uh discovery of judas priest when were you first made aware of their existence was it an album was it a concert tell me
1: i'm i'm not gonna lie there's a lot of uh there's a lot of things about it that i in in my my story and my sort of relationship with judas priest that uh would pay off a little bit later um but my younger brother randy Uh, is the one who turned me on to Judas Priest. Now, I think that he heard about it from some neighborhood friends um, whose older brothers had turned them on to Judas Priest. And uh, he, Randy, brought home Unleashed in the East. So that was, you know... 78 or something, right? 77, 78. So they had already been, the band had already been around and had, you know, three or four records out by that time. I think Hell Bent was brand new. Yeah. Uh stained class. No, I'm sorry, stained class. Yeah, Hellbent was brand new, stained class, I think, before Hellbent for Leather, if I'm not right, on that
0: yeah, discography
1: so. timeline. Okay. The um The interesting thing about that is that, you know, I was still high on KISS. Yeah. And uh, right around the same time, ACDC and Judas Priest come into view via my younger brother, Randy. And so he was bringing this stuff home. He goes, you're going to love this. I'm just going to tell you, you're going to love this. Is pretty much (laughs) was the calling card there. And he was right. Um, So completely obsessed with Unleashed in the East, I think I listened to it every day that summer and continued um, to just worship. Um, in the meantime, I, I it's that whole thing about, you know, I went backwards. I sure. think I got Sad Wings of Destiny. I got uh, Hellbent for Leather. I got just anything and everything Judas Priest that I could get my hands on. Um and, and to this day, I feel like I could still say I, I I get my hand any Judas priest item I can get my hands on I probably will yeah. uh without breaking the bank anyway so um yeah it was it was late 70s. and uh that's a little bit embarrassing because I feel like I would have loved them earlier and uh, another uh sort of uh, thing I feel guilty about is they always came through Texas. Uh, their, their rise in America, rumor has it, they started their tours in South Texas. And, uh, I know that I was, I mean, I was young, so I didn't, I wasn't driving, you know, it would have been a thing where, uh, um, you know, I would have needed a ride maybe with an older brother or something like that. But, uh, I missed them I missed them in, in those early days when they came to America in Texas in particular, um, as early as 75 and 76. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that's a bummer. What about you?
0: Yeah. My first, uh, if you're embarrassed about not being turned on to them until the late seventies, I wasn't even aware of them really until British steel, which was 1980. And, um, I remember a, a friend of mine had some older brothers that kind of had the cool record collections and they, they were sort of the guys that knew what was happening. And through them, it would trickle down to my buddy who would then turn around and tell me about this stuff. Well, because of them, I, uh, I bought uh British steel on cassette tape, um, And I'm like you, I was all things, I was all about Kiss, I was all about Van Halen. Um, Ted Nugent was in the mix somewhere. But uh, Judas Priest was a huge discovery for me because I just remember thinking, wow, this music is so, it was heavy for the time. But um, it was, you know, looking back in hindsight, it's. very very melodic but at the time it was all i knew was it was heavier than kiss heavier than you know uh acdc and more in in a metal sense you know they were definitely true metalers acdc was to me, ACDC at that time was still kind of heavy metal, but uh, they didn't sound like Judas Priest. And and now, all these years later, I recognize ACDC as just a loud blues band.
1: They were giving, uh, they were, Priest were giving the title definition.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And they wore it proudly, you know, of course, by British steel. They're wearing the the leather and studs and all that stuff. So I remember discovering them and being... I was like, okay, I got to have more of this. And like you, I went back through the catalog and went forward through the catalog. And uh, they became one of the most iconic bands in my collection. And, uh, you know, uh, Screaming for Vengeance is one of my top three favorite albums of all time. And I'll say this, the last album they just put out Firepower it was a great record in my opinion. So even uh, all these years later, they're still putting out quality stuff and still carrying the torch. I love the fact that they've always been uh, adamantly heavy metal. They 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 never tried to say we're not a metal band. Oh, we're going to dumb down the metal aspect. They've always said we're a metal band and I've always appreciated about them a That because it wasn't always fashionable to say that it's still not fashionable. Well, but yeah, uh, that flag.
1: Yeah, uh, thank God. I think that um, there's so many different layers of uh, of of, you know you say Judas Priest, comma why question mark right? There's so many layers as to the answer when you ask why Um, the. Interesting thing is about, you know, the definition of heavy metal is is, you know, you open up the book and it you look up heavy metal and there's a picture of fucking Judas Priest right there. Yeah. The uh the interesting thing to me is is, you know, when you think about where they're from, um they call it the black country because of all of the steel mills and uh government housing and things like that. Uh, That's well, all those guys grew up in, uh, in government housing situations more than Silver Spoon situations. Definitely. And, um, I think that that plays part in th- to the sound that they would eventually create, yeah. uh, inadvertently only because they were searching for something just like any young frustrated person, um, yeah. find, you know, is trying to figure it out. Um, I'm still reading Halford's book and it's it's colorful in many ways and one of the ways it's pertaining to what we're talking about here is the fact that um you know they they went to school you know they 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 had things they were interested in um obviously it was music and I think that music was a way for them to escape um y- you know some 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 disposition some situational things yeah. and and uh gave them some artistic uh meaning yeah. uh the, one thing that that uh, in the Halford book is how it's how uh, how I'll I'll speak for Halford because he's not really he he does talk about the other members quite a bit of course but man, he was fucked up. (laughs) He was getting (laughs) wasted, dude. He loved to drink. Yeah. And um, I think that it's not something that I ever thought about, like, ever. Yeah, And I'm – it's in the 70s, and I'm a young person who's barely 12, 13, 14 years old listening to what now I know to be as heavy metal because, you know, back then I'm not calling – kiss heavy metal i'm not calling acdc heavy metal but this by the time hellbent for leather w- even staying class when i heard exciter i was like this is heavy metal yeah so the lyrics the lyrics are heavy metal you know the the, the 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 content here is uh looking towards something that's uh you sort of over the top in in a lot of different ways uh image image wise yeah uh and i think that they're they're part of that whole thing you know different than i mean you know you could say the same thing about and from the same from birmingham england you know the same thing as black sabbath i was and, gonna bring that up
0: yeah, yeah and the
1: lyrics that that geezer was writing and that ozzy was writing were more doom and yeah uh, you know they're writing about the uh PTSD from the, the soldiers in Nam coming back and the wars and things like that. So yeah. it's, it's, a, that's very heavy metal topic, but, but even at that point when uh, Sabbath even had a few records out, even Zeppelin, Zeppelin was more of like uh, the beginnings of like what Dio would come to write about, whereas a lot of J.R. Tolkien and yeah. know, breathing dragons and chalices and, and the Shire and things like that.
0: Fantastical, but,
1: yeah. Still, yeah. still very heavy metal. Yeah.
0: Um, it's funny that you mentioned Halford. Uh, you know, uh, being um, being a big drinker because I interviewed him. I've interviewed him a number of times, but I remember talking to him one time, and he said, "So
1: jealous." I have to in- interrupt you. I'm so jealous that you've gotten to converse with
0: him. And, and he's, he's always, he's, he's always oh. been a great, great interview, very gracious and uh, uh, forthcoming with, you know, if you ask him a question, he'll give you an answer. And uh, he told me one time, you know, that uh, he got sober around the time of the turbo record, which was, you know, what, 85, 86 or something that's, like that.
1: That's right where I am. That's right where I am in his book. And he's talking about that. He went to rehab Right. Yeah. And and actually tried to commit suicide.
0: Wow. Yeah. he. I mean, he told me, you know, that he, he would, you know, he, by the time he went on stage at night, he'd already drank a case of beer and he'd have another 12 pack sitting on the side of the stage that he was drinking during the show. And when you think about his voice and how many albums he had done up to that point, uh, and how many live shows? It's amazing that his voice wasn't just destroyed by that point. Uh, let alone his body, you know, uh, physically. But um, yeah, he recognized at some point that he had a really bad habit, and he put it down, and he's been sober ever since. And uh, I was always, I was always shocked to find that out because. He wasn't one of these guys that was very public about, you know, being a wasteoid or whatever. Some of these guys, you know, they almost wear it as a badge of honor. But it's kind of like when I found out Alice Cooper spent, you know, a good bit of the late 70s all coked out and, you know, and drunk. And, you know, he spent so much of his career saying not really not denying it, but it was just never a topic of discussion, so you never really thought about it. And Halford was kind of the same way, in, in my opinion. But to for him to have done as much classic work as he did under those circumstances for as long as he did was pretty remarkable. And then hats off to him for recognizing his situation and, and deciding to do something about it and still kicking to this day.
1: Yeah. Alcohol wasn't his only vice.
0: So he was, he was was coked out as well. Which is another thing that'll just destroy your voice. I would imagine. Oh yeah. Yeah. I
1: can't, I can only imagine the just, uh, per, there's a lot of personal pain, you know, and he was really trying to he was just trying to figure stuff out. You know what yeah. I mean? He's at a weird, yeah. weird position and a kick ass rock and roll band ultimately. Yeah. Uh the 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 records, you know, the story of Judas Priest <clears throat> is not really any different than any other band that we know and love that has the the awards, if you will. Um rockarola they didn't make any really any money the first tour was a flop uh they 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 didn't have any definition yet as to what it was they just were writing the best songs that they could write uh they had just put the band together so to speak uh yeah they were all in different working bands and they were all teenagers. So when you think about that, they're not any different than anybody I know that has been playing music since they were 13, 14, 15, such as I have. Um, some honorable mentions, uh, Halford was once in a band called Lord Lucifer. Awesome.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought.
1: And, uh, and Glenn Tipton was in a band called the Flying Hat Band. Not and so often. I would no, not not so awesome. And, yeah. Uh, but you know, it all had to come from somewhere, and I think that Halford's introduction, uh, I, I to to the Judas Priest, uh, to the priesthood, to to yeah. to to coin a phrase, to, to borrow a phrase, from Halford's book, uh, was through his sister Susan, who was dating Ian. And ended up – they they got married. I don't think the marriage lasted very long, but but they they got married, so they were actually
0: related by marriage for a while. People should know that Halford wasn't the original singer. There was a guy named Hal Atkins or something like that. Yeah,
1: yeah. and there might have even been another singer before that. But there's some old promo photos. There's some old interesting artifacts that anyone can find – um, about old Judas Priest, uh, you know, I don't know if they actually wrote or recorded and they could, it could have been just covers. Maybe they had some original material and no one would know it. If there wow. is material out there, it'd be fun to, to listen to, but I'm sure it's pretty rickety sounding, you know, Yeah, to, but hear, for all it- to hear Judas Priest without Rob Halford is almost a sin in my eyes. No yeah. disrespect to, uh, to Tim Owens, otherwise known as Ripper, who is probably one of the best, uh, singers in the world. And I can't imagine anybody else fronting Judas Priest other than Rob Halford. So sue me.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, for all intents and purposes, Rob was there from the first album and, uh, for every album other than the, the two that Ripper did. So uh you you couldn't fault anyone for not knowing about al adkins but you're right uh rob was brought into the band because of ian hill and some relationship with a sister or something like that kind of brought rob into the band uh just in time to record the first album and you know the rest is history as they say one of the things that i mentioned uh, british steel earlier and in one of the interviews i did with rob Uh, We were talking about that album specifically because they were touring um, in celebration of the 40th anniversary of that album, maybe. And so the topic, of course, during the interview was the British Steel record. So I'm picking his brain about the creation of that record. And it was actually recorded in a house that used to be owned by... uh, john lennon and ringo star and i think lennon owned it first and then he sold it to ringo somehow the two of them both occupied that house at one time okay john and, and yoko lived there for a while yeah, yeah so john- maybe it was Ringo's okay. house and just lived there for a while or, or something like yeah. that yeah but that's where uh british steel was recorded and um So he was telling me about the making of that album. And back in those days, you didn't have samples and stuff. So in the song um, Breaking the Law, where you hear the glass smashing and the police sirens going, um, he told me that back in those days, because you had no samples and you couldn't just pull this up on a computer, you actually had to create or record or both your own sound effects. So they would, you know, drink a, they would drink beer out of a bottle, and then they would you know, stack up enough beer bottles, empty beer bottles, and throw them against the wall to get the smashing glass effect. And so the smashing glass that you hear in Breaking the Law is actual beer bottles being smashed up against a concrete wall at Ringo Starr's house. <laughs> right. And then another thing, uh, the same album, British Steel, the song Metal Gods, where you hear that marching noise, this, oh, oh, oh. that's actually a drawer full of silverware, right. that belongs to Ringo Starr, that they were sort of shaking and jostling around to get the silverware to sort of rattle against, you know, each other. And that's the noise you hear in the intro and the outro of the song Metal Gods. It's Ringo Starr's Silverware. <laughs> right. I always thought that was cool because I've listened to that album since I was a kid. And I would have never known that if I wasn't talking to Rob Halford himself. And he's giving me this inside information. So I thought those were cool little footnotes about a great album.
1: Yeah, the, um, there's another one on there. They, Rob is famous for the, the Bull Whip. And it might be on Metal Gods as well. There's like a crack of a whip sound. And it might even be on that line, marching in the streets, marching in the streets. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And what that is, is it actually ended up being a guitar cable, just like completely just whipped on the uh, pool table, on the billiards table. Yeah and yeah. that's a, you know under that green felt it's it's a hard marble surface right, right? Yeah. so so it's 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 probably was pretty wicked loud and they have i can just see microphones point, all pointing down on the cutlery while he's shaking <laughs> the cutlery and on the yeah. <laughs> microphones point all right mic up the pool table you know what i mean yeah, we're gonna, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna destroy the pool table with this guitar cable um yeah. but i think he tried over and over and over to get a, a good bullwhip crack. And it just didn't, it, the mic, it wasn't loud enough. He couldn't get it to, to sound right. Also, I think they were all living there in that house while they were recording. Yeah, I think and so. There's a part in, in Rob's book where, um, Glenn is downstairs trying out some amps and Rob's upstairs trying to sleep. And he, comes down in his you know in his robe and says, hey man <laughs> I'm trying to sleep and' it's like I mean the, the hours were probably all jacked up anyway because they were probably he was probably sleeping in the day who knows right. yeah, um, but but yeah I mean I think that the all of those are are super famous like lore right it's like those are the stories you want to hear. Uh, about the records that you love that you just didn't know and it's it's uh i feel like that these are things that people well that metalheads are going to be talking around uh you know the fire story telling stories around the fire for years to come well I don't for me it's, for me
0: it's like i'll be able
1: to that, but i know dudes our age are doing it right now
0: Yeah, and it's like now that I know those things, I'll never be able to listen to those songs the same way. You know, every time I hear Metal Gods, I think about rattling silverware. And every time I hear those beer bottles smashing, I'm thinking Rob Halford is probably on his 25th beer that night, and they're still throwing them against the wall trying to get just the right smashing sound, you know. And uh, people just take it for granted in this day and age, if you need a smashing glass sound, you punch it up on the, on your computer and there you have it. But, uh, back then you had to create your own, uh, your, your own sound effects and by whatever means necessary, I guess. So when was, uh, what was your first Judas Priest concert? I,
1: I, uh, am once again, I'm guilty of. It. I just feel like I. I. It was just way too late, but it was probably around the time you saw them, and that would have been uh, eighty-two or eighty-three uh,
0: on "Screaming
1: for Vengeance."
0: Ah, uh, okay. I didn't see him till "Defenders of the Faith," so you okay, got me. So that
1: was that was right after. I'll, I'll only beat you by a year, year and a half. Uh, I I was at that as well. We've talked about that that screaming tour uh, many times on the show. Uh, Great White was the
0: support act. Uh, the Defenders tour.
1: Oh, that was Defenders. So, no. Uh, so it would have been um, Heaven. The band Heaven was the support act when they came through Texas on uh, Scream of Revengeance tour.
0: I want to say and- Crocus on that bill too it was crocus and yeah, not not when i saw him it was only
1: a two-band bill and it was it was heaven and uh priest at you franklin him- center in austin texas we saw
0: austin. okay uh,
1: i was uh, i've been in
0: austin since 80 so okay so yeah so your first judas priest show was screaming for vengeance mine was defenders of the faith um What'd you think of Firepower? Their last album that came out like two years ago.
1: I am a terrible, terrible. Uh, here I am talking about how I, how much I loved Judas Priest, and yeah. I couldn't I couldn't name one song off of Firepower. <laughs> so so let's talk about that for just a minute. I mean, am, am I a terrible? Am I a poser? Am I lame? Am I am I fired from the from the the Phantom <laughs> of Priest? And I I I don't I don't really think so because uh, oh. there would be no me without Judas Priest and especially Rob Halford because uh, you know much like Freddie Mercury and Steven Tyler and Bon Scott and Brian Johnson and and John Bush and Alice Cooper and you know those are my big those are my influences yeah and as far as vocals go all of them uh, I mean I. I love Mark Starachi as well, but those were, those were late, a little bit later for me, you know, John Bush is a big influence, uh, but, but it's later that's, that's mid eighties, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, but I just think growing up hearing, you know, before I was even a singer, I was just like, how in the hell are these guys, you know, doing this? It's, it's what I would say about many singers, but especially Rob Halford. Yeah. He a uh, you know you hear robert plant and you're like oh that's that's just that's just crazy that's almost cartoony but it's he's making it work with this rock music he's singing so high and come to realize i feel like uh, ian Gillen was who they were all sort of borrowing from yeah know? um so there's a genesis there and of course we all i always say this Gotta wait for that deep purple episode. Yeah, uh, it's gonna be a doozy. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the you know, it. I my first time of seeing them, I was completely blown away. I knew every song. Um, you know, there wasn't a song that they played that I hadn't heard and and didn't didn't love already. Of course, that was when you think about. Uh, this is kind of an interesting sort of side note here is, so in 83, 82, 83, they had barely been a band for 10 years. Yeah. So that's like, when you look at it in those terms, they're they're a new band. Yeah. Who are doing extremely well and had become Americanized with the release of British Steel. And right. so for them to be able to go out and play those huge hits off of British Steel, Oh, and here's some of our new stuff that is like they're you know, they give them the key to the city.
0: You right. Know? Well, one of the things in, in one of my interviews with Rob, he was talking about, and, and this is fairly typical of, of a lot of bands in the seventies, but if you go and you actually look at the discography of Judas Priest, they were literally putting out an album every year, sometimes two a year, and touring in between. So he was talking about, you know, what a grind that was. And if you stop and think about it, that's a lot to ask of any human being to just be constantly churning out product and being on a bus and living out of a hotel. And getting in a studio and trying to write either on the road or you probably are writing mostly on the road because you're never off the road. And so if you take the first 10 years of Judas Priest, I mean, it was nonstop balls to the wall. Working hard, working extremely hard. Yeah. 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 So um, I already told you that uh, my favorite Priest album is uh, Screaming for Vengeance. What's yours?
1: I hate it when you do that,
0: Dave. <laughs> I only do it because listeners want to know.
1: No, I know that. And it's the reason we have a show. So the, you know. You can only pick one. <laughs> it, it totally sucks because there are moments on so many records that I just can't live without. That sure. Become my DNA. But. This is this is messed up for me to say sometimes, but it's unleashed in the East because it reads like a greatest hits of the formidable beginnings. Yeah. That were so staple. Those songs are staple. Yeah. Every song on there is is a is Judas effing priest. Yeah. And without those songs, there would be no screaming. Without yeah. songs, there would be no painkiller. Um I think that you know to talk about, um, the records that don't stick out to me as, uh, their greatest moments without them sounding like my opinions. I like to hear what the band says about them. And the only go-to I have is confess, you know, Rob's book. Yeah. You mentioned earlier during the turbo you know, the year they were making that record and, and the struggles that Rob was having, um, personal life and just with him just being wasted. Um, you know, I think by the time they were on tour, he was okay. You know, he was happy. And, yeah. Uh, but during the, like the making, they were making, you know, they recorded a bunch of that at the at the record plant, which I've recorded at which I didn't realize until the book and didn't read the fine print hard enough, or just didn't recall. Yeah. But I thought that was cool. I had a moment, you know, reading Rob's book or a record plant. I, I know the record plant. you know. Yeah. Hey, I, I I'm, I'm cool, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, but it was just one of those cool things, uh, realization and, um, you know, uh, I don't like Turbo Lover. I don't like the record. I don't know what else to say other than if it be those digitized MIDI guitars that sound like keyboards. I don't know if it's the songwriting, but it's easier for me to be honest about not digging Turbo after hearing Rob spill the beans in the book about how... His lyrics, he cringes when he reads the lyrics or thinks about the lyrics for that record. Yeah, he wasn't very happy. He didn't have his in the early years, he had this trusty old thesaurus that he carried around with him and he used it to make to write. You know, you said it, they were making so many records during that short amount of time. Yeah, he always had that thesaurus with him, and that was like his. He was a priest reading of the Bible. That was his Bible because he was, he read the title Hellbent for Leather right out of that thesaurus, and he was like, "Hey, Glenn, check this out. Hellbent for Leather. What do you think of that? Says it's a. It's in this thesaurus, just as one. It's like this is helping me just be me. It's helping create Judas Priest.
0: Yeah, thesaurus during great term, album title. Is during, that album? America or elsewhere was called killing machine correct
1: right but you know, it there's there's trial and tribulation and and do's and don'ts and why's and why nots in the book that talk about that uh, those arguments as well yeah the th- he didn't have his thesaurus is my point on turbo so not, turbo is is not a winner for me ram it down is not a winner for me
0: yeah I can honestly say I've never even heard ram it down wow. um, uh but I suspect that I'm not missing much. That might be terrible to say but um <clears throat> i i can we say that that might be Scott Travis's first
1: record with them uh
0: I thought painkiller was, but I could be wrong no, no way no. I think it's Ram it down okay maybe it's ramming down um but see there you go that i just proved my own point i don't know that album well enough to even be able to tell you that because yeah after turbo
1: yeah yeah okay so you're a little bit a little it's a little there's some
0: gray there yeah there's some gray there because by the time turbo came out i was kind of disappointed i i was i was very disappointed to be quite honest and i really kind of you know and as a young as a younger kid, you're real quick to jump on the next thing that comes along. That's why, that's why if I look at my life and I go from Kiss to Van Halen to ACDC to Iron Maiden to Judas Priest to Metallica, I always think of those as blocks of time. But if I actually think about it as an adult, those time periods were really only windows of maybe three to four years each. That's how quick things go. So if I lose interest in Judas Priest at at the point of, uh, you know, Turbo, now and granted, I'm kind of, you know, maybe this is bad to say too, but I'm already satisfied that they've given me like, what, eight, nine great albums? So it's okay, I'm ready to cut them loose, you know, kind of thing. And maybe that's not fair to say either, but... Um, they really didn't come back around for me until pain. Uh, yeah, painkiller, which was a huge comeback in my opinion.
1: That makes that makes so much sense, though. But that turbo and ram it down be these lost years for for even me. But I feel like timeline and discography. I feel like we're almost missing a record. What was the record before painkiller?
0: Before what? Oh, pain before Killer. painkiller. Oh, uh, jeez. See what I'm saying? Yeah, there's that that everything after uh, Turbo is just a gray area for me. I get lost in the well. Fall.
1: I think I don't. I don't think that we're missing a record. I think it's Turbo. Then I think it's uh, Ram it Down, and then I think it's they you know they they took a they took a little bit of time, not much, uh, to get
0: Painkiller going. Yeah, and someone will let us know if we're skipping something. I'm sure. Oh, but.
1: Yeah. But happen.
0: let's talk about Painkiller because what a what a roaring comeback after some a couple of you know basically disappointing records. As, um,
1: as long as we get to talk about some of the records that we didn't really elaborate on.
0: Oh yeah, sure. Okay. I just uh, I thought Painkiller was a great not only a return to form, but I loved the fact that um, Rob and the guys. I don't know. And it might say in, in the book, you're, you're the one reading the book, but um, I, I feel like they felt like they had something to prove because in that gray area between Turbo and Ram It Down, you know, all of a sudden Metallica and Anthrax and Slayer and Megadeth are starting to take hold. So it's like if you're going to compete in the metal realm, you now have to compete with these bands that are faster, harder, louder, and Judas Priest came back and answered the call. I thought uh, Painkiller was a great uh, album at that time, considering the climate, you know, for heavy music. They they didn't come back. It would have been a little odd if they came back with, say, a British Steel or a point of entry, which they could have because they're Judas priests. But I like the fact that they rose to the occasion and said, all right, we're going to come back with something that can stand up to the to what is considered heavy music today. And then they took out Megadeth and Testament on that tour. That's balls, man. <laughs> I thought that was great.
1: Well, um, you know, they they took out Pantera in like uh, 89 or 88 they had Slayer as an as a support act. I saw um I saw Slayer open for Judas Priest in Los Angeles at I want to say the Forum and it that was a Ram It Down tour and I sat next to slash at the mixing desk
0: Wow, it's crazy, man! And if they took out Slayer on the Ram It Down tour, that's big balls. <laughs> well,
1: well, they, they took out Pantera too. So, yeah, you know, yeah, they they did. Well, they did. They did Europe with with Pantera supporting.
0: That speaks volumes uh, about about Judas Priest and and especially Rob. I you know because I always liked the fact that when he left, I want to I want to get to that band to that project that he did called Two in just a minute. But while we're on the same thread of, uh, you know, kind of stepping up to the plate when when the bands around you are getting heavier than you were, uh, I love the fact that when he came back with Fight, it was just like, oh my God, this guy, you know, it's like Fight was a fierce band, you know? And Rob Halford at that point is, a much you know older in age uh and he's coming back with some of the heaviest music he's ever done and i, I always tipped my hat to him because i thought that was great that uh that he came back with a young hungry band and they went out there and you know were ready to compete with the panteras and the slayers and stuff I, at that age
1: I, I feel like it it uh you know the the new metal was influencing
0: him, right? Exactly. That's enough
1: my, yeah. enough to where when he when he did quit priest in um, you know '91 would have been late summer or just yeah late '91. I think that he had already had a plan, uh, you know, in place because he probably started writing with. People in uh, Phoenix, you know, where he lives. Where he lived, yeah. And, um, probably he knew he has a lot of friends in Phoenix where he's living that are metal people. That, yeah, uh, he talks about, uh, hanging out with the band Surgical Steel quite a bit. And they were on one of, they had a song on one of the old Metal Blade Metal Massacre records. And, um, so he he knew anyone who was metal and who was a musician that was uh that was you know from the same you know genre as him he was it was easy for him to find them and and uh respectfully yeah um, real quick uh my fact checker here just to give you a little bit of a rundown it's not a complete discography here but starting from sin after sin which was 77 that's missing rock and roll uh uh sad wings um here you go so sin after sin is 77 then stained class then uh killing machine which is hellbent for leather that's 78 british steel is 80 point of entry 81 right screaming for vengeance 82 i knew it was 82 uh defenders in 84 so that's that's two years really the first time they took two years to make
0: a record yeah that's incredible first first
1: time yeah (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and they're still uh, not even a 50, you know, they still hadn't been around 13 years yet. You know, right. uh, defenders, 84 turbo is 86. Mm-hmm. It just seems early. Uh, yeah. another two years. So 86, 87, 88 is Ram it down, which makes total sense. And then painkiller, which is, uh, 90, right. technically
0: 90 so we're not missing an album before painkiller
1: no and then and then uh and then the jugulator and demolition were with ripper and those are uh 97 and 2001 which which makes sense so there's a, a little bit of a lull in the priest catalog between 90 and 97 so you know that all of that sounds legit when you know uh the drama and the history and the, and the story of Judas Priest and, and a kid from Ohio getting to
0: play Rob Halford for a few years. Yeah, What do you know about that project he did called two? Does the book you know, the, talk stories think,
1: about that? I think that he wrote, I think that he wrote songs with or collab, you know, collaborated with and, and was, and he was slated as producer, um, uh, uh, yeah Trent Reznor and that record um has that sort of uh Reznor apocalyptic new age yet still very uh you know dark on the side of metal but it's not really metal right uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far to call it uh, devil disco like when you when I was talking in another episode talking about white zombie um, but it is in, industrialized, if you will, it has a lot of that, uh, it's tinged with things that make you think industrial, uh, industrial metal or industrial hard rock or whatever. Uh, you know, the new, the new sounds that a lot of, uh, hard rock was using and getting airplay, I don't think too saw the much light of day at
0: all think so either right yeah he's he's basically admitted that you know he was heavily influenced by Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor and the sort of the industrial metal sound of the day and Mm -hmm. wanted to dabble in that a little bit um I don't know that I've heard I think I probably heard the single whenever it came out I can't even tell you the name of it but uh never really explored it yeah I,
1: uh, I had I had the record at one point but I didn't You know, I didn't get into it that much, and uh, I wish I still had it. I don't think it's in my collection any longer. Um, I mean, anything with Rob Halford, I try to hang on to, but I'm not quite sure what happened to it. You know, we could do a whole show on Rob Halford. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, the band Halford. I mean, he technically went solo. Yeah, yeah, great. Local local favorite uh, Bobby Jarzombek played drums on those Halford records so you know there's fight which had scott travis um there's two records of that and there's, there's two or maybe three halford records and a couple maybe two live halford records and i gotta say those are amazing yeah
0: amazing heavy metal records yeah they are i have uh I have the Halford, the first Halford record, and one of the live ones, Resurrection. Resurrection. There you go. And the second one, I think, was called Crucible or that something like that.
1: That is correct.
0: I don't have that album. Um, I listened to it a couple of weeks ago. It's so very good. Is it? Okay. Well, that's a that's a that's a good recommendation coming from you. So, um, yeah, I just always admired the fact that, uh, that you know, Judas Priest as a band always waved the flag unashamedly for heavy metal. And then when Rob Halford kind of branched out on his own, you know, he had that little sort of left turn with two. But when he was doing his own thing, whether it's fight or the solo band, I mean, he just came back just... Roaring back to at least what Judas Priest was doing, if not heavier, you know, and I, I think that speaks volumes about his love for metal. And I, yeah, and, I don't I don't I, think it,
1: I don't think it was a contest or something like he wanted to get heavier yeah. and Judas Priest didn't want to get heavy. I mean, that sounds ridiculous, but I just think that um, it was one of those moments that, you know, maybe there was something else out there. I mean, he was floored when he when he heard Pantera. He's talking about it in his book, and so that may have had some kind of influence. Where, you know, the Painkiller record, even though it arguably Painkiller could be their fastest, most brutal moment in Priest, you know, uh, discography, I'll arguably, arguably, yeah. of course. Yeah, I'll buy. It. But, you know, Painkiller is a very rounded-out record. There's some great songwriting on there. I think Touch of Evil has this sort of shout back to something that could have been on Hellbent for leather. Maybe I'm standing alone in a field, but I don't think so. No. I, uh, so there's a lot of sort of like moving around on painkiller that makes it a Judas priest record. Not just the fact that painkiller was like, Oh, we got to keep up with Slayer and Pantera and be heavy as shit. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that, but I do think that you're onto something like he went into the clubs with those bands I yeah. saw back room. I saw fight at the back room a wow. couple of times.
0: Yeah, I saw fight uh, open for Metallica. Uh, you were yep. probably there, was, South Park Meadows. There. I was there. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was the one and only time I saw them. Uh, but uh, again, they came out. They were low build on the on the show. I think they, they replaced
1: out- Alice and Chains
0: um they might have i remember that that was a weird bill because candle box was on the bill it was candle box fight suicidal tendencies and metallica if i recall that was that was it. and i just remember fight came out in the broad daylight middle of the afternoon i mean this is the metal god rob halford legendary singer for judas priest and He's not afraid to come out in the middle of the afternoon and earn his keep again, you know, and he did it with this band that was just, you know, I mean, they they were they were they were fierce, man, they came out, they were hungry and uh, the, the they did a great job putting on a a great show and just all business you know it was
1: it says a lot about says a lot about rob and the ethics and and who he really is now now judas priest when you think about what they mean globally and what they mean when you say other um, When you say ACDC, when you say Scorpions, when you say Iron Maiden, yeah. you have to remember that Judas Priest probably supported ACDC. As a matter of fact, of course they did. They supported AC/DC many, many times with Bon Scott. Um, Judas Priest supported. Judas Priest opened for Led Zeppelin.
0: I know this. Yes.
1: It's crazy. And that, that they only had a couple of records out, you know, they were still a new, a new band, but, um, you know, literally, uh, Robert Plant was a Judas Priest fan and contacted them and go, I, I want them to open for Zeppelin. And that's just, and, and Plant and Zeppelin, they're, they're black country as well. They're from the same, you know, part of England that uh Sabs and and Priest are from. Yeah. 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 So that's a real that's a kind of a no that's a that's a nod.
0: Yeah, I I uh I asked Ian Hill that question. I did an interview one time with uh Ian Hill and uh Richie Faulkner. They we did the it was the two of them <clears throat> at a show here in Austin and I was backstage and I was interviewing them. And I asked him, I asked, you know, Richie, of course, wasn't around at that time. Richie might not have even been born at that time. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, in fact, in fact, I asked Richie that, that, that same night when, what do you remember about your first Judas Priest concert? And he said he never even saw him until Ripper was the singer. So right. that was his first, that's how young he is. But, um, I asked Ian Hill about the time that Priest opened for Zeppelin, and it turned out that it was one of these situations that was just kind of a happy accident. Like, uh, Judas Priest was on tour in America. I think they opened, it it was only one or two shows, and it was in Oakland, California. And really the only reason that Priest was able to do the show is because they missed a flight. Or something like that. It was a complete. Uh, it was not. It was not as planned as you might think. It was like, oh, we're available because our plane left without us, kind of thing. <laughs> I, and I think. I, uh, I think I, priest. I think priest
1: was in New York, and they were done with a run of shows or something, and they were scheduled to leave, and okay. the, and the phone can- rang. They got a phone call. Would do you wanna do you wanna open for Led Zeppelin? And on the other end of the states, he's oh, yeah. in New York, and and they were supposed to do two dates, but uh, Robert Plant's uh, son or daughter passed away. His and, son died. Yeah, and he had to catch
0: a flight. Uh-huh. I remember talking to Ian Hill about this, and he was saying, you know, what an honor it was and how incredible it was, because Judas Priest at that time was still basically more or less unknown in the in the United States. And
1: it's late and, '70s. That's yeah. Late '70s,
0: yeah. Yeah, they they don't have hits. They're not on the radio, and uh, they're getting to open for Led Zeppelin in a football stadium in in Oakland, California, and I made the joke that they probably sold more merch at that gig, then they sold the entire tour in the United States. <laughs> he said something to the effect that I don't even think they had merch at that time, you know? They, probably didn't. they probably
1: didn't. It probably wasn't. Merchant, merchandise came later. I don't even know if bands really, you know, maybe, maybe some bands did, but I, I remember in my experiences in the late seventies, my first, concerts there was always merchandise there's always been merchandise but i think on this on that sort of b-level band and you know they're staying wherever they can stay on the pennies they have in their pockets it was still uh you know bread and water at that point yeah Yeah. um, so to speak
0: so, so, listen, we can't talk about Judas Priest, uh, especially with you, without mentioning the fact that, of course, your band Dangerous Toys did a tour with Judas Priest. <clears throat> so, uh, tell me, did you have any hang time with the members of Judas Priest? I know that, you know, when you're on tour, people think you're always partying together and hanging out, and I know that's not the case at all. But... But was there a moment or two or three where maybe you did get to spend some time with your heroes and Judas Priest because you were tour mates?
1: Well, I love Rob so much I I would have uh, followed him around like a puppy dog if (laughs) they would have let me.
0: Yeah. (laughs) But
1: I I honestly never saw him uh, at the venue like just hanging around at any, you know, long enough time for me to just like basically embarrass myself, right? So, <laughs> so I, I, uh, I have been, in, I've, I've been in situations where I could have probably started a conversation with Rob and I just got cold feet more than once. Yeah. And, uh, it's not like a self-loathing thing. Like I hate myself and I'm, I'm embarrassed about it. Uh, uh, that, but it's like, I, I, I feel, I don't know. I just, I probably would have, I don't know what, I don't know. I don't know what to say to him. Uh, dude, I love you. You're so awesome. And I don't, I, you freak me out. You know, you're like this incredible human being that, uh, obviously has struggled and you just have had to recreate your, your human vessel you know, to just be comfortable, and uh, now in, in reading his book, I just know more about him now, and it's like, wow, yeah, it's even the, he's even a stronger entity than I ever thought. the um, the the sort of like a passing moment where where it was a member of Judas Priest were rare. Uh, there's one moment where I'll I'll talk about KK Downing. Um, I'm sitting on the back of the drum riser and I believe metal church, it was metal church's drum, drum riser. Cause they were on first Yeah, and we would, we would be after metal church. And, um, anyway, so I'm sitting on you know, like the drum throne that is right behind my head. So I'm sitting on the riser and we're just chilling and it's me and a couple of road crew and we're just hanging out and KK and a couple of other people are just walking by and they stop to chat. And so KK's literally like 12 inches from me. You know, I'm sitting and he's standing just like he's just right here. And I'm just like, "Oh my god, it's KK." I just fanboy. I'm just fanboy. You know, I don't I don't know how to act, man. And and so, you know, I'm trying to get some conversation in with with uh, KK, and this is so lame. I ask him for a guitar pick. He, I got <laughs> one. He had one. He yeah. Goes, I think I, you're, he goes, "You're you're lucky that I have one because I don't really carry around picks." I, I'm being. He says, "I'm telling the truth." And he he, I still have the pick. Of course, it's framed about twelve feet away from me right now. Uh, and it's, it's red. It says Judas Priest in gold it's embossed and it says KK Downing on it. I don't know what else to tell you, but that was really about it. As far as, uh, KK goes, um, there are a couple of other moments that I are braggable, uh, Uh, I'm kind of going backwards here. There was an, I don't remember where we were on tour. We did a lot of dates with them. So, uh, the tour was called Operation Rock and Roll. Everyone can look it up and sort of school me on, on where I was. But, uh, uh, there was a night that I had asked, uh, Rob's handler, like his guy that he hung around with all the time. And, and it may have been his, uh, his partner. I don't, I don't recall, uh. And I want to say that it might've been, Uh, but anyway, I, I approached him and I feel terrible that I don't remember the guy's name because he was so nice about it. And like, I was, I was like, you know, stomping around my dressing room and, and just creeping the whole time, hoping what, you know, that the answer would be yes. But what happened was, is I asked him, my I cornered him and I asked him, Hey, uh, do you think it, you know, I'll apologize now if this is sounds terrible for me to ask or being too forward here, but is it possible for me to like be side stage when Rob comes off the state, you know, in his little area? Cause, you know, he had his own little like space.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: when he would come off and whether it be costume changes and you know, this sounds like I just wanted to see Rob nude and that's not the fact at all, <laughs> but you know, so in, in like, in like, he goes, yeah, I'll, I'll ask him and see what, see what he says. No big deal. Don't, don't worry about it. And I was like, thank you very much. That would be such an honor. And, and it's just, you know, in the presence of the metal God is the way I'm thinking.
0: Yeah. I'm yeah.
1: Such a fan. Right. And, uh, And he, he comes, I run into him a few hours later and he goes, yeah, Rob said, no problem, man, no problem at all. And I was just like, probably jumping up and down inside, you know, (laughs) so, um, and all I remember about it is, is just, you know, I was, I was there, you know, I, uh, I was just hanging out and you don't really see the show from where his little area is. Right. Yeah. And, uh. So that's a bummer because it's like, you know, Rob's lair. It's like there's a black curtain and he comes busting through it. And then you're standing there and you're like, oh, my God, there's Rob Halford right there. You know, (laughs) And uh, I'm, you know, five, six feet away from him. And I'm just going, I'm just I'm just giving thumbs up going. Sound amazing, man. Sounds amazing. And he's like, thanks. You know, if even that. Right. Yeah. And, 'cause he's busy he's at work, and here's this you know if he's at McDonald's making french fries, I'm bothering him standing there next to him, watching him
0: do his job you know? right, holding the fries
1: uh, right, so <laughs> that's kind of embarrassing, right so anyway uh it was it was just an honor to be able to just be in his lair, like hanging out as he's coming back for you know just a drink of water or to just catch his breath or. Uh, sit down for a moment. Yeah, uh, uh, or change jackets. You know, whatever it was. Yeah, but it was it was. Some people would say that's very anticlimactic, Jason. And I'm like, to you, <laughs> I, know, I didn't really expect anything. Um, I right. was not looking to become his best friend. Uh, right, I was just like you know wanted to be there and support and like. Like, just see it and just see sure. the happenings of what Rob Halford does when he goes yeah. back there. Is he still warming up? Is he drinking hot tea? You know what I mean? I'm a singer. I, I was on tour with Judas Priest, damn it. You know? Yeah. yeah. It was important to me.
0: Well, uh, that, got, that's, a, that's a glimpse behind the scenes that nobody gets, you know? Absolutely. So, so absolutely. sure. Yeah. Sure. I, I, you know, it sounds anticlimactic, but uh, I I can see myself being excited about that. It's like, wow, this is what he does when he comes off stage. Nobody else gets to see that, even that's if right. it's something, you know, uneventful. It's still yeah. a perspective it, that most people don't get to see. So It
1: literally is like uh, no one, no one goes in the band. That's not the band's dressing room. Yeah. That's not, you know, Glenn Tipton didn't doesn't go in there. That's yeah. Rob's lair. That's Rob's lair. So yeah. <laughs> uh, his, his assistant and him, you know, his assistant's just hanging out and I'm hanging out and you know, all of a, here he comes, you know, it's like, Oh wow. So I think that I waited, you know, the length of a couple more songs and he came back uh, one more time. And then I was like, okay, I, I feel like I'm in the way now, you know, yeah. so I uh, didn't want to burn out my welcome there. And that's, that's really it. Um, there was a couple of press days pre tour, right? So I'm in Los Angeles. I'll try to make this quick because I know I've been talking for a long time.
0: No, but this is—I know where you're going with this, and this is a good I,
1: story. So I was—I was. Me and Mark Gary were in Los Angeles doing some press days for Operation Rock and Roll. We were—I have some photos. We were to—it was—it was at the Whiskey. Um it's, you know, I'm on the whiskey stage with me and Mark, uh, Ricky Rackman, Alice Cooper, and Rob Halford, where members of Metal Church and Motorhead were. Who knows? But they didn't show up. Right. Uh, so, you know, it probably was a travel thing. I think Lemmy was, you know, he lives there. So I don't know why, <laughs> he, didn't, <I> don't <laughs> know why he didn't show up, you know. But it was in the morning. That's probably why right there. Uh, and so anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm on the whiskey stage, me and Mark with Ricky Rackman, Rob Halford, and Alice Cooper by God damn it. Yeah. So uh, I think that that is a shining moment in my life. Uh, but it gets better. Uh, we are doing some photo opportunities and since uh, the name of the tour was sort of a spin off or a takeoff on uh operation desert storm was happening Correct. at the time yes. this the summer of 91 so uh there are tanks and jeeps and things, maybe one tank and one jeep and me and mark were riding on the roll bars of the jeep uh and behind the tank right and alice And Rob are in the tank and they're popping their heads out and there's, you know, chicken, chicken, there's photos and people video and in the whole street, you know, traffic's pulled over and these tanks going down the middle of sunset, you know, and it was crazy. Somebody. Uh, I guess the press agents, right, for the tour or for Judas Priest was like, hey, why don't you get, you know, you're you're one of the other singers. Why don't you get up there with Alice and Rob? You know, yell, the three singers, you know, be up there. And I was like, oh, my God. Right, And before I could even react and, like, start crying like a little <laughs> kid, I was on that tank and I was sitting up there and there's a photograph that yeah. I have framed and it's alice and rob and me and in that if when i look at that photograph i think the same thing every time i look at it and what's it's what's going through my head what's going through your head there jason try to be cool try to be cool try to look cool try to look cool i'm try to look cool you're riding on a tank down sunset with your
0: idols yeah
1: not many people If Lemmy would have been there i could have died the next day a happy man so
0: yeah no I've seen the photo, and that's uh a, that's an amazing memory and a and a great story uh i I know that's got to be a proud moment in your in your life and your career because I know how much you love Rob Halford and Alice Cooper and to be like squashed between the two of them in a tank rolling down Sunset boulevard that's pretty badass
1: <laughs> uh, it's, kind of a, it's kind of an unbelievable story it sounds made up it's not made up. <laughs> I was lucky. So there was, there's one more thing. We were, I was, I was to go to a studio nearby. I wish I would remembered the name of it. This is almost like a dream because I was only there about 30 minutes, maybe, maybe, maybe closer to an hour, but it was me and Rob and we're in this studio and he's, he's, he, he's going first. He's in the, the, the recording booth and there's, you know, he's reading these, you know, radio station IDs. He's doing station IDs that we're going to play, where they're going to play this ID. Hi, oh, this is Rob Halford from Judas Priest, and da da and we're yeah. in Phoenix, and da da. You know, and then they play a Priest song. Well, they were going to do the same with my tags as well. So, I'm literally in there watching Rob do this, and then he leaves, and it's like. Now I'm going and do mine. It was, once again, anticlimactic. <laughs> the fact that I was there in a studio with Rob Halford, uh, just going in right after him to do the same uh, radio station IDs was a pretty big deal to me. It, it sounds, it, it, was, it was work. You know, it was, yeah. kind of, it was this is a little bit about what you have to do, you know, when you're promoting a tour and things like that. But I was, it wasn't work to me
0: yeah at all so Uh, that's awesome that's that's amazing um you mentioned kk downing earlier and i wanted to share another little uh kk downing story sidebar um i interviewed him once as well and i had read somewhere that during the turbo tour all the photos of him uh performing live from that tour, and you know it's that tour because the get-up is all glittery and sequins and everything, uh, he's wearing sunglasses in all the, uh, the photos. And typically, you know, you look back at the photos of Judas Priest on stage, you don't often see KK wearing sunglasses all the time. Right. So I asked him, what was that all about? And he told me that somewhere on... In the early part of that tour, you know how guitar players, they when they tune their guitar, they have that leftover string hanging off the headstock, and they typically cut it off with wire cutters, right, just to shorten it so it's not, you know, flopping around.
1: Your guitar tech is supposed to do that if you're yeah. KK Downing, right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. KK should have someone doing it for them. Um, but for whatever reason they weren't cut short enough and he actually caught one of those right in the eyeball oh, and no. he said that his eye was all swollen up and oozing green pus and gunk and stuff and so the reason that he wore those sunglasses throughout the turbo tours because he had the gnarliest eye infection or whatever because he stabbed himself in the eye with a guitar string that wasn't cut short enough oh, and so man. i always thought was kind of an uh, interesting thing because if he's if you notice any photos of him from that time frame he's almost always wearing sunglasses on stage
1: that's that's a that's a serious uh fan lore campfire story there yeah, yeah. Uh, I, kk has a book kk wrote a book heavy uh, duty heavy duty uh do you have that not we need to get that yeah and yeah, we talk about talk about Judas Priest for another ten hours. Yeah. Finish <laughs> Rob's book, and you finish that one, or we can. I'll let you borrow this, and you yeah. let me borrow Heavy Duty, and we'll do this again. Yeah. Um, you know, there is a let. Let's do a smash it or trash it, Judas Priest. You ready?
0: Yeah, go for it. Okay, let's be unrehearsed. Do give
1: it. Me your, yep. Give me your. Give me your smash it or trash it of point of entry
0: uh uh smash it i won't trash it yeah, smash it or trash it smash it means good correct <laughs>
1: yeah do you love it or do you hate it
0: yeah. okay i can't say that i love it but i certainly won't trash it and i'll tell you why for the song desert plains alone
1: it's a beautiful song it's
0: a magnificent song man i mean it is phenomenal it's such a great song and the thing i hate about What when they do it live is they speed it up and it totally loses the whole beautiful vibe of that song. What I love about that song is the vibe that it creates and that has everything to do with the cadence of the song and the rhythm of the song. And they have this tendency when they play it live to speed it up and it kind of ruins it for me. Yeah. So uh, that album I'm gonna give it a thumbs up for that song alone. And there's other songs on it that are that are worthy. But that song is one of my favorite Judas Priest songs because it does have such a vibe. And by the way, since you brought it up, our buddy Patrick Kennison uh, does a really killer acoustic version of that song where he's just you know, singing acapella. He's by himself with an acoustic guitar. People can look him up on YouTube. It's, he does a lot of acoustic solo uh videos on youtube but uh as talented as he is that's one of my favorites from him but yeah i'm gonna give a point of entry a thumbs up
1: yeah you mentioned there are other songs and they actually made a couple of different uh they made a not just one uh you know they made a video for hot rockin they made a video for uh don't go don't go yeah don't go yeah to the highway, uh, yeah, heading out to the highway. So, they you know, the video age was was uh, that you know, that was
0: pre MTV. Heading out to the highway was on MTV. Yes, I remember well, seeing well, there
1: was no they the video was around pre MTV, so they that, came- rec- that record was 1980, yeah, 81. I'm sorry, 81. So, yeah. so they were making sort of like video clips or promo clips or whatever you want to call them prior to uh the uh you know totally over the top you know explosion of mtv yeah Um, i
0: always love the heading out to the highway video and i love the scene right at the end where rob is wearing a white t-shirt And he's kind of got that bandana in his hands. And as he's shouting out the last note, he just kind of collapses from the waist up, just kind of falls over. And I just always love that image of him because you normally see him in a black leather jacket, you know, and there he is in blue jeans and a white t-shirt and he's just like, He's, he's got that bandana and he's just like, that note is fading out. And I just love that image of him. (laughs) He's,
1: you know, his, his, uh, his stage persona and what he's doing. I mean, everybody else in the band is fairly stoic. Uh, I think, uh, especially Ian, um, but but you know in the in the guitar play between we didn't even really haven't really even talked about the guitar play between those two guys so and much. how important and how important that is to heavy metal. Yeah, um, not that they did too many harmony solos. They did quite a few, but but, but it wasn't like something that they it was something they visited every once in a while. It wasn't like a total staple, uh, like it would be maybe with even. You know, maybe about as often as Thin Lizzy, maybe, but it was definitely a duo. The Tipton-Downing thing is definitely a guitar duo, which was uh, not new to them, but but something that would later come across with, uh, you know, around the same time as Thin Lizzy, I guess, but would later uh, pack a wallop with Iron Maiden and yeah. those guys and the harmonies that they do. I mean, you just say the Trooper like the the thing that the guitar play in that is this total harmony harmonized part that is the hook of the song I mean that is huge and it uh would be that's a staple now it has to be so I think priest had that and gave that to heavy metal um, oh. but they but not but maybe not created it is i all'm saying
0: yeah, but they they might have you could argue they perfected it or enhanced it at least, but yeah, they uh, once Priest kind of did it, and then Maiden did it. Then you kind of you almost couldn't have a metal band without two lead guitarists, whether or not they played harmonies or not. It was like it was just the look of the band. It's like you every metal band went from a four piece to a five piece, you know. <laughs>
1: Well, except for Van Halen and Pantera and, you know, there there's exceptions to the rule by yeah. way of uh, by way of tone of the band. I, right. I, feel, I feel like, a, you know, um, Wishbone Ash is something that Judas Priest, a band that Judas Priest sort of admired for yeah. the the dual dual guitar right. stuff that's going on. Um, and that they're they were an important band to, to Judas Priest because, you know, Judas Priest was a four piece band for a long time. It was before they had a record deal, you know, simple, yeah. but, uh, it was when Glenn was in flying hat that they were a four piece. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I think that solar angels yeah, is another song from the record. That's an incredible moment. Uh, and it's important to, you know, heading out to the highway has the harm harmony guitars has the dual guitars. Yeah. That's the song on that record that has the, the the guitar harmonies on it.
0: That's kind of one of their underrated records for sure. And I think some of that is because it, it was sandwiched between British steel and screaming for vengeance. So it's like, it's in the middle of these two, iconic super super classic defining not just judas priest defining but genre defining albums and sort of point of entry kind of gets lost in there and maybe it's not as you know as great an album as the two i just mentioned it's it's probably not if i'm being you know if i'm being honest but it's definitely not a stinker it just kind of gets overshadowed by two monumental albums on either side of it
1: if you think about the workload and you think about where they were; it's their record where they could say we were in between things. You know, those things might be greatness that they're in between, which yeah. is uh, which is British Steel and then Screaming for Vengeance. Well, what's in between that? It's it's head, it's a uh, you know it's point of entry. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I think that they recorded that in the Bahamas. I think they recorded quite a few things in the bahamas and they were just going crazy they were drinking and partying and taking boats out they were going fishing can you imagine judas priest guys going fishing they, <laughs> they went fishing
0: yeah I'm i think
1: they were about. i think they were making the turbo in the bahamas too and they were trying to go fishing they there's he talks about they, uh, the, the guy who rented the boat says, don't go over there because you're going to hit the coral and it'll break my propellers. And they were like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And they went right over there and broke the <laughs> propellers immediately. and They had to pay
0: for it. <laughs> yeah, so and they said, send the bill to my manager.
1: Well, whatever, whatever it was. Yeah. They, uh, you know, but it was, you know, they were, I think that they were just, you know, they had to discover the the great moments. I don't think that they were always there uh, and just so easy to come by. But, you know, Rob swears by the thesaurus, and he always gives credit to Glenn and KK and saying that they always delivered great material. Uh, he He does say he wishes Turbo... Uh, He thinks he fell short on that because of his personal stuff uh, was getting in the way of that being a great record. And he and uh, he's you know, he says that he loves the music, but he just blew it on his side of things on that record. You know, like I said a minute ago, we could we could talk about Judas Priest uh, and, you know, what they mean to us. And just what they mean to music, um, and it's very, very important. I feel like uh, there would be no Metallica without Judas
0: Priest. Oh, that's enough. I feel yeah. like
1: there would be no Iron Maiden without Judas Priest. And we yeah. can just stop right there.
0: Yeah, and that yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we all all of us fans of heavy music owed them a huge, huge uh, debt of gratitude that we could never repay. And uh, so many bands would say the same thing. And, uh, you know, we started off this show by saying we could go on and on and on about Judas Priest, and we could. But I think we need to wrap this one up and uh, maybe revisit the subject at another time, because Judas Priest is, uh, there's a lot of stories to be told. And maybe when you finish that book, you'll have even more uh, side notes to share. And if we ever read the KK book, uh, we, we might have even more information. So, uh great topic i knew it would be i mean how can you go wrong with judas priest we could talk for hours but uh let's move into our final segment for this episode shot of rock and roll we all know that you're a you know hard rock heavy metal guy but we also know that you're a songwriter and a fan of all types of music and your your ears are pretty wide open to uh a variety of different sounds and and music as long as it's good at the end of the day. Right? So I wanted to ask what concert have you gone to that people would be surprised to know you attended something outside of the hard rock and heavy metal realm.
1: I, can't think of one off the top of my head <laughs> i can't even, okay i can't even think of one off the top of my head i i saw uh i went and saw a uh like a radio sponsored you know radio station brought a bunch of bands it was like a you know all the bands flew in and played this uh promotional type of uh, shows a bunch of different kinds of bands and it was in the it was in the... It might have been 2000. So, you know, it's 20 years... 21 years ago or something. It might have been that long ago. Yeah. And it could... I don't know. I don't think it was in 99. I'm going to say 2000, maybe 2001. Uh, anyway. I was... A, I am a big fan of that very first Kings of Leon record. Ah. And... Uh, I can't even remember the the title of the record. I'm gonna blow it. It's like something like uh of man or manhood or something like that. Yeah, stories of man and manhood or something like that. Something anyway. It it's not that's not important. Is I was obsessed with that record. I, I it was stuck in my CD player for months. Yep. And, and it just sounded like a, a dirty old rock and roll record. It was recorded that way. It sounded that way. Uh, the image of the band I had in my head was they were, they're all sons and cousins of a Pentecostal preacher in like Tennessee or Arkansas or something like that. Right. And so it, it it that even made it more sort of punk rock to me that it was these like a uh, Inconspicuous rock and roll
0: kids, you know, unlikely, the, unlikely the rockers, yeah. Yeah,
1: and uh, they were like came out of nowhere, you know, to me. And yeah. uh, the songs, were, the songs could have been like a spawn of like Rolling Stones meet Leonard Skinner or something like that. You know, it was just really weird. Yeah. uh The hit was Molly's Chambers. Ah, uh, yes. And uh, I didn't hear it on the radio. I was working in a record store at the time. And, uh, you know, we would throw all the promos into this giant CD rack and spin it around, and whatever came out would come out. So I discovered a lot of cool stuff that way. And, um, man, you know, one of those songs came on. I was like, and it kept coming on, you know, different song every time, you know. And I was like, because it was on a mix, right? I'd hear, you know, some hip hop crap and then I'd hear Kings of Leon and then I'd hear some new metal band that I didn't give a crap about because it was just like, what the hell is that? And, and then another Kings of Leon, I was like, man, what, what is that? And I'd go dig it out see what it was every time I was, you know stop and listen like a confused dog. What What is that? You know, it was like that damn Kings of Leon record. Yeah. So so they came to town on one of
0: those... Radio you know,
1: festivals. 101X is the, you know, 101X is this alternative rock station in Austin, you know. And uh, they were putting on this big thing and there was a bunch of bands on there. I don't remember who who was on there, but Kings of Leon was on there. And that's all I cared about. Yeah. Is I went and saw Kings of Leon one time at Stubbs barbecue. It was packed. It was during the day, right? It was just a big thing they were having. Yeah. And they were, they only played like 30 minutes. And I don't think that they, they look like they just got off the plane. Yeah. But they, it, they looked like hell when they walked out. Uh, I don't think they were playing on their equipment. Yeah. Uh and they just came out and played like half their record basically. They just had the one record and they sounded like uh they sounded like a punk rock band. They, to me, they I mean they were playing their songs but these they were kids and they were hungry and they were dirty and it meant something to me. And and no one else really in the audience maybe like 20 out of like 800 even gave a shit people were facing the other way and looking the other way and just kind of having a conversation in the audience, you know, cause it was outdoor. Right. Right. I was beeline. My was my eyeballs were glued to the stage and I just thought they were great. And then the, re- the new record came out a year later or six, seven, eight months later after they kind of started to, you know, gain some footprint and I was uninterested. I was, yeah. I, was a, I was a fake fan. Because the second record didn't do it for me, and I don't really know why. I just think that the tone of that first record was something different than everything after they did, after that. So,
0: did you? Uh, so the the radio festival when you saw them was at Stubbs. Yeah. Okay, I was there, and oh, cool. uh, I remember uh, me and Kim, my wife, were in. We were in the. The dressing room, if you will, at Stubbs with the band, um, either after, before they went on stage or after they came off stage. I think it was after because they were all sweaty and they were with, with Kings of Leon. Kings of Leon, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, I I have a I
1: took a, a little synchronicity here, a little yeah. six degrees of separation.
0: Wow. Yeah. I have a. I had, they had, there was a poster on the wall that was a really nice, high quality poster, real slick, full color, glossy. And I took it off the wall and they all signed it. And I have it here somewhere in my box of stuff somewhere. But uh, I remember you actually turned me on to Kings of Leon when you worked at that record store, because I remember going to visit you at that record store. And you were like, dude, you got to hear this. And we went outside to your van and you popped in the CD and I was like, "Oh yeah, this this is cool stuff." And that's probably why I went to the Stubbs gig and then while I was there, I don't know how I ended up meeting the band and hanging out with them in their dressing room or whatever, but we were just kicking back, drinking beers and they were they signed this poster and I still have it to this day and I remember just what everything you said. It was like this scrappy little band of country boys that was, you know, just rocking and uh no one really seemed to give a shit. Yeah, not then. Yeah. A couple years later they were like opening for you too and stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Kind of crazy man. Yeah. No, that's that's a good good story. Yeah. Kings of Leon. I remember you being excited about them and uh you turned me on to them and I understood.
1: Sweet. Okay. What do you here's my shot of rock and roll for you. Fairly random. When I say, this is kind of a smash it or trash it, I guess. When I say Motorhead Overnight Sensation, do you know anything about that record?
0: I have it. um, I do know about it. Um, It's not one of the ones that's in heavy rotation, but I'll tell you right off the bat, I don't think there's such a thing as a Motorhead record that I would trash.
1: (laughs) Right, right. That's why I kind of set it up to be that way. I have a signed. I have a signed copy of that record, and and I'm with you. I I probably can't name a a song or two off of it. One of
0: the interesting things about that record is it's one of the few Motorhead album covers that actually features the band on the cover. That's right. As you know, uh, Ace of Spades, of course, being one of the other ones, but as you know, most of their uh, album covers feature the artwork of Joe Patagno and the band realizes they're not the most photogenic bunch so they don't uh, necessarily fight for the camera to be on the uh, the album cover but uh yeah i i have that album it, I, I i don't listen to it all the time but um i can't think of a single motorhead record that just leaves me so disappointed that i'll you know just say i could trash it so
1: right i didn't i didn't i didn't think you were going to trash it but i was just going to you know, it's smash it or trash it is that sort of radio DJ talk for. Yeah, yeah. Hey, man, what do you think about this record? You know, yeah. so.
0: You know who yeah. does love that record, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is Marty from Lower Class Brats. I think oh well,
1: know. he yeah. he could tell us all about it then. Yeah, he would. Um, I, I, I like the record too. I just, it does not the top of, top of my heap, you know, I'll, I'll talk about overkill with you.
0: Well, you know, the motorhead heap is pretty darn big, you know, so (laughs) there's going to be a few uh, titles in there that we're not experts on, but uh, when
1: I, when I start thinking about overnight sensation and, uh, and I, I think I did a gig with, with, uh, with motorhead on that tour and was hanging out and had them all sign it. But, um, you know, it, it doesn't. It, it just makes me want to go put the song
0: "Overkill" on repeat. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. Why not? Yeah, you could do worse. All right, man. Another great show. Uh, enjoyed talking Judas Priest with you. Uh, what a topic, huh? We could just go on and on about Priest. Uh, but priest, 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 Priest. We've got a save some for the next time. And by the way, when you watch this on YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. It helps us out tremendously. We really need your help in boosting the show, boosting our numbers. And uh, we do appreciate you tuning in and listening. Uh, If you do us the added favor of punching that button and leaving some comments for us to uh, respond to, we're happy to do that. We'd love to have you guys as part of the conversation. All right. With that, Metal Dave Glester, Jason McMaster signing out. Another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Thanks for joining us.